Well, would you rise with me as you're able, and we will read our text this morning, which is Psalm 24. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. This is God's Word. You may be seated, and the children are dismissed for Children's Church. As Megan mentioned, we are interrupting our our Lenten series on the Sermon on the Mount, where we have focused on uh, Jesus' teachings on prayer, and we'll continue with talking about forgiveness and fasting. Those are all things connected to our prayer life. But today, we're focusing on Psalm 24, because we have participated in a week-long a prayer event called Pray for the Lou, and today is what they call Preach for the Lou. So many churches today are preaching from Psalm 24 in unity, expressing our desire for God's Spirit to come and work among us and to unite us and to work through us. And so this is why we're, we're choosing this text this morning. However, this is not really a departure from prayer, from the topic of prayer, I have realized um, that the contemporary evangelical church has a serious problem with prayer. I don't think this will be new to you. We have frequently talked about this. If you take Pray for the Lou movement, for example, as organized as we are, as well-promoted and well-led this initiative is, and it is, as many churches that are in the mix in this network, and it's ever-growing, it's only a small fraction of believers in our region, in our region that takes part in it. I'm encouraged by the momentum of the movement, and compared to last year, we've seen growth and more excitement and more churches participating and more believers, more answers to prayer. So I'm encouraged by that, but At the same time, it's been revealed once again that one of the most difficult things to do in ministry and in life is to get Christians, including pastors, to pray. I don't know if you know this, but it's unbelievably difficult (laughs) to get Christians to simply gather and pray, and including pastors, which is even more disturbing. Now, why is it that we have such a hard time praying. Uh, It's actually not true of other parts of the world. There are other churches that are much quicker to pray and fast and plead with the Lord. 
Why is it that in our circles, in the evangelical church in the West broadly, not every church, but broadly, why is it that we have such a problem with prayer? Well, I think our problem with prayer is our main problem in general, and that is that we are self-centered and self-absorbed. Instead of centering our life on God, we center our lives on ourselves. Our lives are driven by what is important to me, what pleases me, what fits my schedule, what accords with my preferences. This is our problem. It's an expression of sin. It's pride. It's godlessness. Now, what is the cure for this disease? What is the solution for this problem? I would like to suggest to you this morning that what we need more than anything else is a fresh vision of God. A vision that is so arresting, that is so overwhelming, that is so stunning, it is so real that it'll just knock us off our throne, that it will break us out of our self-centeredness and self-absorption and reorder our lives around who God is. So my goal this morning is for us to see the King of glory. I've not given you an outline because I want us to continue to ask and answer the same question throughout our time together. The question is, who is this King of glory? That's the question. Who is God? What is He like? What is He really like? And as we ask and answer that question from our text and from many, many other passages of Scripture this morning, my prayer is and my desire is that for me and for you, this vision of God becomes so real that it will alter our lives, that it will move us to pray, it will move us to worship, it will move us to obey, it will move us to evangelize, it will move us to be self-giving and not self-serving. Who is this King of glory? I want us to keep our attention on the Lord Himself throughout the sermon as we work through this beautiful and incredibly wonderful, profound psalm together. I want us to stay focused on, on Jesus, the King of glory. Now let me give you some context to the psalm because I think it's really helpful to know why the people of God were singing Psalm 24. The occasion for the writing of the psalm, tradition tells us, was the bringing of the ark into Jerusalem by King David as described in 2 Samuel 6. And if you know the details of 2 Samuel 6, and I'll share some of them with you, you will see how different parts of the psalm correspond to that event. And the event was that King David is finally bringing the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem to have the tabernacle there where he rules for God's presence, God's glory to return to God's people. Now the Ark was a symbol of God's presence. It was the central object in the worship of Israel. Essentially, it was, it was a box. It was a wooden box covered with gold containing tablets of the law, the Ten Commandments, manna from the wilderness, and Aaron's staff that budded. Those are all reminders of 
who God is and what he demands of us. It was covered with a lid, which had two cherubim on top of it, spreading their wings over the ark. And that part was called the mercy seat. And this is where the glory of the Lord would rest. And the Lord said, this is where I'll meet with you. I will speak with my people there. There's a special place. It was likened to a throne where God would be enthroned on the cherubim and speak to his people. This is also was the place where, where the priests would come in and sprinkle the blood of the atonement sacrifice to cover the sins of the people. As the law from within the ark testified that we are guilty before God, the blood of the sacrifice covered us and the lid protected us from God's wrath. Now this is where the glory and the presence, all this symbolism is there in the ark. But the ark was, was lost to the Philistines. The Philistines, uh, they captured the ark in battle. And so they kept it, but they couldn't really hold on to it. So finally, after all the tragedies that, that God brought into the Philistines' lives, they gave the ark to someone else, to Abinadab. And Abinadab kept it for 20 years at his house. Now finally, King David, who brought peace to Israel, is bringing the ark to Jerusalem, where later his son Solomon was going to bring the temple, and that's where the ark was going to be. This is an incredibly important moment for Israel. God's presence is being restored. God's blessing is being renewed. God's glory is returning to his people. I mean, you can just imagine the procession. This is the time when when they're singing, there's loud music, sacrifices are offered as they go. King David is dancing to the point where his wife is embarrassed for him. Remember that? Says what? The king has dishonored himself by dancing before the Lord. But the king can't contain his joy that God is returning his presence and his glory to his people. And so they're coming and they're bringing the ark into the city, they come to the gates, and now just imagine what's happening. The singers, the Levites, command, lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. They want to bring the ark in. They want to bring God's presence, God's glory, into the city of David. But the guards ask, in a ceremonial sort of way, they ask, who is this King of glory? Who is this that we should let him into our fortified city? And so the singers reply, The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle, lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. The guards again, Who is this King of glory? And the singers proclaim, The Lord of hosts, he is the King of glory. This is the picture. This is what's happening. I want us to get a little bit of a, of a feel for what, what is going on in this, in this psalm. And so with the guards, we too this morning ask the question, who is this king of glory that we should let him into our lives? Who is this king of glory that we should let him into our church? Now the first two verses of the psalm tell us that this king of glory is none other than the one who made everything. Is the creator king. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The world and those who dwell therein. 
For he has founded upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Who is this king of glory? He is our creator. He's the Lord who made everything that exists, visible and invisible, and everything that exists belongs to him because he made it. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The world belongs to God because he made it, but we tried to expel God from the world. We rejected his rule. We challenged his claim on us as his creatures. When Adam and Eve sinned, it was an act of treason. It was an act of rebellion against the king of glory. Sin, in any form, is an attempt to make the world empty of God. But what did God do in response to our foolish desire to expel him, to empty the world of God? He came into the world from which he was pushed out. The word, the word became flesh. In Christ, God came back to fill the world again. Creator became creation so that all creation could be restored to him once again through Christ who fills all in all. The incarnate Christ, this word that became flesh, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. By him, all things were created. In heaven and on earth, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He sustains the world. In him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to him all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Who is this king of glory? Well, he, he's our creator, whom we rejected, but who came into the world to fill it again with himself and to reconcile all things to himself. The vision of the Lord as our creator must move us to conform our lives to his rule and design. God says through the prophet Isaiah, Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. Children have I reared and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner, and the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. And this is the condition of all of us. He's our creator. We should honor him. We should worship him. We should obey him. We are his. We should live like we are his. And yet, we live our lives not knowing him, not understanding who he is. And so some people wonder, why does God want to meddle in my life? Why does he care what I do with my body or how I spend my money? Well, if he is our creator, he's not meddling. He is ordering. He is ruling. He is claiming us as his own. It's not your body, and it's not your money. All that you have is a gift from your creator, made by him and given to you, including you. You have been made by God. 
And so you are His because He made you and He owns you. Everything is His. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The world and those who dwell therein. And we live at His pleasure and under His authority. Who is this King of glory? He's our Creator who rules because He made us and because He owns us. Now let's ask the same question again as we continue looking at our psalm. Who is this King of glory? Verses 3 and following. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in His holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Now on the surface, this seems like a totally different question. Our question is, who is the Lord of glory? But these verses ask the question, who can enter God's presence? Who's acceptable with God? Now I will show you that the answer to both questions is actually the same. Now, the background of this question, who is acceptable in God's presence, is it has to do with the ark and the Levites. Now, you may remember that at first when, when David said, we will, we will take the ark and we will bring it into the city, it was Uzzah and his brother that put the ark on a cart, which was not the way God had commanded the ark needed to be transported. There were poles, there were rings on the ark. You were supposed to carry it in a certain way. Only a certain people were supposed to do that. This was all to show the holiness of the Lord, how different He is from all of us. Honor Him as our Creator. Honor Him as God in our midst, Holy One in our midst. But Uzzah didn't do that. They kind of did it the way they thought would be good, but not the way God commanded them. And at one point... As the oxen stumbled, Uzzah put his hand on the ark to steady it. And God struck him down, and he died. One of the most dramatic and upsetting passage in the Old Testament. So David, who was afraid, why was he afraid? Well, if we can't even touch the ark to steady it when the oxen stumble, to protect it, to help it, who can enter God's presence without being struck dead? David was legitimately afraid. And so he just left the ark with somebody who was there. He left it with Obed-Edom for three months until he tried to figure out what to do with it. And then he saw that that the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and his family. So he got the Levites to carry the ark to the city in the way that was commanded by God. And they did that, and they brought it in with great joy. So what happened here? You have somebody being struck down because they just touch the ark inappropriately. And then you have the great blessing coming on on, on the household of of Obed-Edom, And David, in joy, bringing the ark back into the city. What's going on here? 
Well, the answer to the question, who can enter God's presence, is the same as the answer to the question, who is the King of glory? You see, only Jesus is pure. Only Jesus is blameless. Only Jesus, the King of glory, is holy. And only He, the God-man, can ascend the hill of the Lord and stand in His holy place. And Jesus did just that. He went up the hill of Calvary and He stood before God in our place and He took all of God's wrath against sin upon Himself. Jesus was struck down as if He was a sinner. Even worse, as if He was sin itself. So who is this King of glory? He is the crucified Christ. He's the one punished by God in our place. He's the one who died for our sins. He's the King of glory who, as the only human person in the world, he could stand before God on his own merits, and yet he agreed to be treated as we deserve so that we can be treated by God as he deserves. And because of what Jesus did, his righteousness can be ours. We too can be welcome in God's presence as the most pure, holy, blameless people because we come in Christ, because we come covered by His grace. And a person who trusts in Christ will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of His salvation. And that was exactly what happened with Obed-Edom, who simply trusted in the grace of God and the steadfast love of Yahweh who covered him. And because he came in faith and trust and not trying to make it work on his own, not trying to steady God's glory, not trying to make it more acceptable, more palatable, more manageable, something that we can control because he simply fell on the mercy of God. God blessed him. Through Christ, the pre-incarnate Christ, he was blessed by the grace of God. And David saw that. And he said, if we trust in God, if we go to him with open hearts, our sins are covered because he himself sets up the demands and he meets them. And so we receive a blessing from the Lord of the God of our salvation. So who is this King of glory? He is Jesus the Redeemer, Jesus the Savior, Jesus the Rescuer, Jesus whose blood cleanses all who come to Him in faith. Jesus whose sacrifice is sufficient to make us acceptable to God. Jesus who exchanged His glory for our sin, His beauty for our ugliness, His righteousness for our failure, Jesus who took our guilt and shame, and He took Him to the cross to get rid of them forever. He is the King of glory. This is who He is. So we, when we ask the question, who is acceptable to God? He is acceptable to God, and in Him, we are acceptable to God. Who is this King of glory? The Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible, which is what the early Christians used, adds a note at the beginning of Psalm 24. I think it's fascinating that they put a little note in the beginning, and it says, on the first day of the week. 
meaning that that psalm was supposed to be read on Sundays, the day of the resurrection. Of course, the translators didn't know that, but the early Christians picked up on it right away. And they thought this is the psalm that celebrates Christ's victory, that celebrates his resurrection from death, that celebrates his ascension into heaven, his rule over the church. And so the imagery of the procession of the ark into the city fits well with the ascension of Christ into heaven and is being seated at the right hand of the Father to rule. It's the angels that are asking, who is this King of glory that we should let him into the heavenly city? And the reply is the Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle, the Lord Jesus who overcame who overcame the world, who defeated the devil, who fought for his people and rescued them from slavery to sin, over whom even death is powerless. He's the king of glory. Let me tell you about the kind of king our King Jesus is. Now from this text, we get that he is a warrior king. He's a king who fights. He's a king who does battle. After the Lord delivered his people from the Egyptian army, when Israel came across the sea on on dry land, Moses sang, do you remember that great song of Moses? And he sang, the Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. And as the people of Israel entered the land of promise, they found that it is the Lord who went before them. It is the Lord who fought their battles the greatest mistake they could make and they made on occasion was to fight their own battles. To go before the Lord and try to get Him on their side to follow them. But the Lord said, I will go before you and I will fight for you. He became their banner who brought them victory. When the great horde of Israel's enemies surrounded the city, the word of the Lord came to the king, to King Jehoshaphat. And the word of the Lord said, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours, but God's. You will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Who is this King of glory, the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies, the Lord of troops? He is the King of glory. His strategic genius is unparalleled. His tactical advantage unmatched. His defenses are impenetrable. His victory is inevitable. His advance unstoppable and his strength incomparable. Who is the Lord of glory? This is who He is. This is the Lord strong and mighty, our Lord, the warrior king. The seer in Revelation says, And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. This is our King of glory. Faithful and True. And in righteousness He judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire. And on His head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows by himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the Word of God. 
and the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. You see, he is in front fighting the battle. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. Another passage in Isaiah says, He alone treads the winepress. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. This is the King of glory. He is on our side, mighty to save. But he's not just a warrior king, he is a shepherd king. He is a shepherd king with tenderness and guidance and care. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and he leads them. He goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. He gives them eternal life and they will never perish for no one will snatch them out of his hand. He found us in the desert land. And in the howling waste of the wilderness, he found us. He encircled us. He cared for us. He kept us as the apple of his eye. This is how tender he is. Like an eagle that stirs up its nest, that flutters over its young, spreading out its wings, catching them, bearing them on its pinions. The Lord alone guides us. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He's a shepherd king. But he's also a beautiful king. I love talking about the beauty of the Lord. He is a beautiful king on the glorious splendor of his majesty and on his wondrous works we will meditate. He is the rose of Sharon and the lily of the valley. He is the bright and morning star. He's like the dew to Israel, refreshing, life-giving. The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. This is what we do when we gather to worship. We behold the beauty of our King and we ask, who is this King of glory? And we say, He's a beautiful King. He's the one whose vision, whose face can arrest our affections, can capture our imagination, can transform our lives. If we just see Him, if we just see a glimpse of who He is. He's also a just king. He's a just king. He judges his people with righteousness. Oh, what a comfort it is for people of God to know that he is just, that he judges his people with righteousness and the poor with justice. 
He defends the cause of the poor of his people. He gives deliverance to the children of the needy. And he crushes the oppressor. He crushes the oppressor. There are so many people in the world today that are crying out to the Lord to free them from oppression and to crush their oppressor. He delivers the needy when he calls the poor and him who has no helper. And for those who can turn to no other, they know they can turn to him and he is the helper they need. He has pity on the weak and the needy. He saves the lives of the needy. From oppression and violence, he redeems their life. And precious is their blood in his sight. Precious is your suffering to your Lord. Precious is your pain to this King of glory. And he does not take it lightly. And he will bring deliverance and he will bring freedom and he will crush the oppressor. He is a wise king. He is a wise king. The law of the Lord is perfect. Reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoice in the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they, these rules, these laws, these precepts, than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. He is wise and his wisdom is sweet to us. His wisdom is precious to his people. He's a warrior king. He's a shepherd king. He's a beautiful king. He's a just king. He's a wise king. And yet he is accessible to us. What a marvelous thing to contemplate that this majestic God, who is so above all that we can imagine, who is so different from us, who is holy in his divinity, yet he is accessible to us. The doors of his throne room are wide open to all who believe. Let these words comfort you today. Let us then with confidence, this is commanded in Scripture, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. It's the throne of grace. The mercy seat of the covenant is the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Brothers and sisters, if you need healing, if you need God's intervention, if you need His care, you need His attention, you need Him to answer your plea, you go to the throne of grace and you need to know that you are welcome there. The blood of the Lamb sprinkled the mercy seat. And where God is enthroned in the cherubim is where He wants to welcome you. And your prayers matter to Him. He listens to His people when we come to Him. He is a good king. He is a good king, one who is to be trusted. He is the Alpha and the Omega. There is nothing outside of him. He is, and he was, and he is to come, the Almighty, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of kings on earth. When I think about the wilderness experience of Israel, God's people wandering 
suffering, struggling, learning to believe, learning to trust God, learning to hope that He will deliver them, that He will provide for them. Christ is described as the rock who followed them. Now remember, this is the same warrior king that went before them to fight their battles, but he's also the rock that follows them, and from that rock flows water to give life. From that rock flows honey to give food. This is who he is. He is the bread of life. Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. He's all-sufficient. Whoever believes in him shall never thirst. He freely gives whatever we need for life. He says that he is the resurrection and the life. In fact, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the pre-existent God, Yahweh, the Lord, the one who always exists. I am the resurrection and the life. His mercies are new every morning and his steadfast love never ceases and great is his faithfulness. This is the king of glory that is coming into our church, that is coming into your life. He is the prophet, priest, and king. Jesus first came in grace, but he will return in power and glory. He is both the lion of Judah and the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. He tells us that he is the way, the truth, and the life. Let me rephrase it. He is the way, the truth, and the life. There is no, no other life. There is no other way. There is no other truth. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, which means whatever king you have in your life, Jesus is over that king. Whatever master you have, whatever lord you have, he is over them. There is nobody greater than he is. And this is the God, this is the Lord, this is the King of glory who says to us, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. And my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, this is the offer that comes from the one who is the most beautiful, who is the most just, who is the most fair, who is the best king, who is a warrior king, who is a shepherd king, who will fight for you, who will care for you. This is the king who says, come to me. I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. If you come to me, you will find rest for your souls. He is the eternal Sabbath for his people. And because Christ overcame, we shall too. Because he died, we are forgiven and free even now. Because he rose again, we will rise too. Because Christ has ascended, we will ascend the hill of the Lord and we will stand in his holy place. Because Christ is welcome in God's presence, so are we. Who is this King of glory? Jesus Christ is the King of glory. And He is our King. He is my King. He is our Creator, our Savior, our, our mighty warrior, our shepherd King, our wise and just and good and beautiful King of glory. This is who He is. I wonder if you have this vision of Him. 
as imperfectly as I'm able to describe him. I wonder if you have a glimpse of who he is. Because if you do, it changes you completely. A drop of his glory is enough to cleanse us of our sin. A drop of his power is enough to knock us off our throne. And to make us not self-centered anymore, but God-centered. Worshippers of God. Servants of God. Subjects of his kingdom. I wonder if you have this vision. Now I'm going to pray. And then I'll welcome you to come to the table and to take the Lord's Supper together. And the Lord's Supper is a feast of the King to which we are invited by grace. And so pray with me and prepare your hearts and, and catch a glimpse of who He is. As He really is, as He has revealed Himself to us in Christ and in His Word. Let us pray together. Our God, the King of glory, the Lord as you are, as you have revealed yourself to us, you, tell, you told us what your names are. You told us what, what your character is. You told us what your attributes are. You yourself have revealed yourself to us. And all we want to do today is conform ourselves to that revelation. Lord, forgive us our idolatry. Making images of you according to our own fancy. Putting our hand to the ark to steady it, as if you cannot control your own glory. Forgive us for meddling with you, for being critical of you, for putting ourselves on the throne. Forgive us for being upset when we feel like you're meddling in our lives. Forgive us for being so arrogant as to think that we ourselves can govern our own lives. As if you have not made us. As if you do not govern this world. As if this world, including us, doesn't belong to you. Forgive us, Lord. Have mercy on us, arrogant and rebellious and treasonous people. The ox knows its master. And the donkey knows where it belongs, but we do not know you. We do not understand. And so we pray, Lord, today that you would reveal yourself to us afresh, as you really are. And even as we read the psalm, we open our hearts to you, the King of glory. We pray that you would come in. So we lift up our gates. We open our doors and we welcome you, Jesus Christ, the King of glory. Come into our lives, come into our hearts, come into our families, come into our homes, come into our jobs, come into our relationships. Yes, come into this church and rule over this church. Let us not be so arrogant to think that we can rule over our church. We are but your servants, under-shepherds, committed to obey the great shepherd of the sheep. We are just administrators in your kingdom, but our allegiance is to the king, to the one who makes decisions, 
whose purposes are never to be thwarted, whose decrees are irrevocable. So once again, we commit ourselves to you, to serve you, to worship you, to obey you. And we pray for a vision of who you are afresh to fall on us. We pray, Lord, that we would see you as our warrior king, as one who fights our battles. And many of us are discouraged to see sin overwhelming us, not able to resist temptation. Many of us are discouraged to see evil triumph. And yet, we must remember again that you are a man of war, the Lord who fights for his people. And so we come to you and we say, we're going to hold steady, we're going to hold our position, we're going to stand still, and we're going to see salvation of our Lord. We're going to look for you to fight our battles, for you to overcome our enemies. We often don't know what to do, Lord, but may our eyes be always on you. May our eyes be always on you, our warrior king, who is on our side. And if you are on our side, who can be against us? If we are justified with you through Christ, who can condemn us? Who can accuse us? Even the greatest of the accusers, our enemy, the accuser of the brethren, has nothing to say to our conscience because we have been redeemed, cleansed clean by the blood of the Lamb. Because this is our King of glory. This is who He is, the, the Lion and the Lamb, coming to fight for us and coming to fight even our own flesh, our own guilt, our own shame, and to deliver us. And how grateful we are that all these blessings, all these victories come to us by grace because you are a God of grace and you welcome us to your throne room where we come in confidence and we bring our needs to you knowing that we will find grace and mercy in our time of need because you have secured our position before God. And so we come to you and we celebrate that you are our shepherd king who cares for us, the rock who follows us, shepherd who knows our needs and provides for us, who protects us from the predators. We thank you that you are a good shepherd, that we know your voice and we can follow you into eternal life. We thank you that you are a beautiful king. Oh, may your beauty captivate us. May your beauty capture our imagination. We praise you that you are a just king and justice is determined by your standards. So let us submit to your precepts, to your teachings, to your laws and find rest for our souls and experience the sweetness of your rule. We thank you that you are a good God. You are a good God, you are a good king, and you rule us well. So I pray, Lord, that you would humble our hearts, that you would allow us to be like a weaned child in the, in the arms of her mother, content, at rest, 
looking at the face of the parent who has unconditional love for the child. Lord, I pray that you would give us this posture even today, even as we come to the table, even as we come to to be renewed by faith and receive more sustenance and more power from you and more mercy from you. Let us eat and drink in joy because we are welcome in your presence.